Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. We apologize in advance for conversations you might hear from us in the tech booth. We are having trouble recording through the lapel mic, so audio is coming through the computer mic. But thank you for sticking with us, and we hope you enjoy listening to John as he brings this week's sermon teaching. Kyle and Charles is always a who knows what's going to happen kind of thing. It's not always the easiest for the guy that is as scheduled of a routine kind of person as either can come. So, yeah. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate each and every one of you in this room and the community that's blessed me and Hannah. My time out here, even praying for her and caring for her, even as she's been back in Kentucky. She got to spend a couple days here this past week, and it was awesome to see her get to connect with a couple people, and she also got to come here uh, for her job training, which is super fantastic, but just another sign that God is providing. God is directing us, and God has called us here, and we're excited to see what he's going to do. And as Kyle was saying, we're continuing in our series uh, called Known, going through Colossians, and today we're specifically in verses 17 and 18, and I love this series. I think it's such a it's a cool place to really just kind of pause and begin with. Because really the whole concept behind it is really God makes himself known to us. You know, and in that, we see that last week, and what Kyle was reading on verses 15 and 16, it was a powerful uh, moment. Because we read here that Jesus is God, and he was here way before creation. And one of the things in which we see out of that is that it really attempts and attacks the blurry vision in which some people have towards Jesus and sometimes how our culture speaks and views Jesus. Sometimes uh, people talk of him as though being created by God or that he was just a man who was lifted up to God's status or he was just another prophet. And rather what we see here in Colossians is that Paul's trying to communicate that no, Jesus is God and he was here way before creation and creation is made through him. And what we begin to see here in Right off the bat in verse 17, it cracks me up because verse 17 literally takes what Kyle said last week and sums it up into just, what, five words? It begins and it says, he is before all things. Jesus was here way before creation. Jesus was a part of that creation process. Everything was created through him, in him, and for him. And we see that as just the beginning of 17. He kind of tags that and says, hold on to this. As we continue to look, and to finish out verse 17, he says, And by Jesus, and by him, all things are held together. And it's interesting, we're going through really kind of this chunk of verses 15 through 20. And in here we're going to see this transition of thought where we begin with creation, and we're going to end with uh, redemption. We're going to end with uh, the new creation that's to come. And right here, we're kind of smack dab in the middle of what Jesus has done in the past. And today we're really focusing in on what Jesus does now. And that Jesus, yes, everything's created through him, like Jesus is in the beginning and everything, and now we're in this moment of, okay, everything's created, now what? And it says that Jesus continues to sustain and holds up all that is created. He's still alive, he's still active, he has an active role in which he is playing and he is present in this moment. We're surrounded by this concept that it's Christ who maintains his creation in a permanent order, stability, and productivity, and that our universe basically owes our coherence uh, to Jesus. That is because of Christ, and without him, 
this continual sustainment of creation, that we would continue to fall into this descent into chaos and disintegration. If you guys remember, uh, back in the last couple of verses, we talked about this, uh, this domain of darkness, the sinfulness of this world, this brokenness that is away from the creation in which was first set forth, how it's broken. And we're in this domain of darkness where we live in a world that is full of sin. As Kyle pointed out, as we are missing the mark, we are missing the plan in which God set forth for each and every one of us. And yet Jesus steps in to the world in which everything was created through him and steps in and he provides a way to sustain his people, to strengthen them, to allow them to endure as they set forth for that new creation in faith. And Paul is using this, and he's using it as a cosmic universal unity that's not found in an idea, not found in a value or virtue or perspective or idea. Rather, it's found in a person, but not just any person. It's the one person who lived, who died, and who rose again. And Paul wants us to understand that basically things begin to make sense, and we can understand that things only make sense when Christ is kept at the center, that Jesus is the focal point of it all, of creation, and of how we're able to sustain, and how we're able to achieve that new creation. Jesus is at the center of it. And that's really what verse 17 really hits at, as kind of this transition of, we have this creation, so where are we at now? And he makes this transition, and I love how verse 18 begins. It says, he is also the head of the body, the church. And see, there's this um, idea we have to understand that the ancient world had this understanding of the head, that the head was basically the thing that controlled everything. Like, it was the governing member of the body. The head controlled all the actions and everything that happened. But also they were under the mindset that the head was also the thing that gave life and sustenance. That basically the head is the foundational point of the body, and without the head, the rest of the body is nothing, would disintegrate into nothing, and nothing can function or sustain. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're not wrong, I guess. But I mean, like now science tells us like you have a heart too that's kind of important, you got some blood and other things in your body that's kind of important. But really, they came back to this whole concept that the head is what drives the body and sustains it. And, and Paul is using this illustration to show that Christ for us is the one that gives life and sustains us as we go as well. And it's foundational here that without Christ, we're not sustained. Without Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we are inevitably spiraled back into that darkness, that domain of darkness in which we talked about. But rather, we see Christ, who makes himself known, who comes in human form to live, to die, and to rise again, so that we can enter into this resurrection. We can be rescued. We can be transferred into the kingdom. And one of the things I love about this is that the physical, tangible way in which we're able to enter into that kingdom is through the church. And Jesus is the head of that church. And there's this quote that I really love. It was talking about Paul and how he used this imagery of the body to represent the church because he wants to refer to the organic, unifying, and mutually supporting roles of believers with one another as they exercise the fruit and gifts of the Spirit so they can grow into one body in Christ. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent with this because there's so much richness in this quote. And first off, 
is this emphasis on the fruit of the Spirit. You know, some of us might have heard of the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians uh, 5, 22 and 23, this fruit of the Spirit. And I keep emphasizing and saying fruit because sometimes, uh, I think there might be a little misconception sometimes of, some people would like to say fruits of the Spirit. But when we look at Galatians, and we look at what Paul is writing in there, in the Greek it's a singular fruit. And it's made up of a lot of aspects and components that come into it. Uh, some people might know it about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Which one did I miss? Gentleness. See, that's the one that I'm not doing well with, I guess. <laughs> but the interesting thing is there's so many components to it, and yet it's one fruit. So like, take this for example, I'll make it really practical. Take an apple. An apple is a fruit, right? It's one single fruit, and yet, when I Google last night, there's a lot of things that make up just one apple. You have the skin on the outside, which uh, is a big topic, whether you uh, cut that off before you eat it or if you leave it on and you're an animal. I guess I am. Hannah doesn't like that. I leave the skin on my apples when I eat it. Um, so you have the skin. You have the pulp in which the part that you eat. You have the seeds inside of it. You have the core that you throw away. And there's this interesting part. I didn't know that the little thing that sticks on the top of Koshu actually has a name. They call it the stalk. Fun fact of the day, if you get anything, that little thing's called a stalk. Didn't know that, but I usually just pick that thing off and throw it away. But what you see is that in one single fruit, there's many components that make up that one fruit. And that's very similar to the fruit of the Spirit. That there's many things that make up the fruit of the Spirit. There's the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness that I always forget. And all those aspects. And sometimes it can be really easy to lean into one of them and say, well, I just need to grow in how I love people. I need to grow in my gentleness with people, my self-control. And really, when we lean into the Spirit, when we allow Jesus to orient our life around his characteristics, around his priorities, we grow in the full components. It's an all-consuming components of one of what it looks like to follow and walk in line with the Spirit. And then the second part of this verse is it talks about gifts. Yes, I put an S on the end of it. There's a lot of different gifts in which people have. And really where I think Paul wants us to get to is that everyone is uniquely made. We are all very different. I will not get up here and sing worship because you guys would not like that. Many of you guys probably would not come back. Charles and the musicians up here are very talented. My mom has a beautiful voice. I did not inherit that. I know, it's really sad. It, I even struggle to sit back there and clap because I can't keep rhythm. It's really sad. I probably forced some people off. Gabe was looking at me earlier. I know I was probably throwing you off. But that, that's not my gift. That's not my ability. That's not my talent. And yet, what we're able to see is that everyone has something unique. And that's what I love seeing here at Generations is a group of people who've come under one component, who are made up of many components in one fruit. And that is Jesus in the Spirit. And it's an outward expression of our gifts and our abilities and the uniqueness in which God has made us. There's some people who love refreshments, the greeting, the tech in the back, Chandler's been feeling back. There's some pe people love the kids. I, I love kids and all, but they will drive me up a wall. And we don't get along the best sometimes. The worship team goes really well. So we even have people who play in events and do big stuff like that. And we all have our different own ministry fit. We have our different gifts and abilities in which God has made us for. And the cool thing is, is that it's one collective body. And we're all able to lean in and outwardly express the 
the fruit in which God has given us, we're able to outwardly express it in unique and different ways. And that's the beautiful thing about the church and the kingdom in which Jesus has developed here is that we're unified under one fruit made of many components. And it's outwardly expressed in different ways for each and every one of us. And Paul's mission, as we kind of see as we look at what he's doing, his whole goal isn't necessarily to get the biggest number of attendants in uh, his gatherings. He, he's not always wanting to get as many, I mean, don't get me wrong, a, a side effect and a thing that we love to see is more people coming to the church, but his driving goal isn't to just fill the room and have a bunch of people sit down and to run out of space. His whole goal is to take saved Gentiles, just take saved Jews, and bring them to one family together as one community, one family, one fellowship, unified under Jesus, unified in the fruit of the Spirit, and outwardly expressing that in unique and different ways. And I love this because this relates so much to us, and one of the things why I love one of our values of uh, story over sin is that we all come from different backgrounds. We're all very different. Some of us come from different places, like I come from Kentucky. Some of you guys have lived here. Charles has been in Texas for a while. And so we come from different places, not only just physical locations, but we have different backstories. We've had different things happen in our lives. We've had different uh, sins and moments where we've all missed the mark. And we recognize that all of us have sin, and yet it doesn't matter because when we come into Jesus and we interact with him, we allow God to reorient, to rewrite our story, and to reshape our direction of where we go. He unifies us. Yeah, yeah. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Charles is the best hype man if you guys have ever watched this. He's my favorite. But what we're able to see is that here, it's not all about how many people can we get, but he wants a healthy body that is all unified under Jesus. And so we finish here in verse 8. And it says, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And we've been continuing this conversation how Jesus is supreme. He's first above all things. And Kyle talked about this a lot last week of this, uh, this Jesus plus culture in which how what Paul's combating here is a culture that is speaking as a Colossians and saying, yeah, Jesus is great and all, but Jesus in addition to all these other things is fantastic. And they're saying that you can receive spiritual fulfillment, spiritual insight and refreshment from all these other things well, all combating that says, no, Jesus is above all. Jesus is the one in which we receive spiritual fulfillment, refreshment, strength, endurance. It's all Jesus. Because back then, like we talked about, it's, it cracks me up that uh, in their culture, some of the people uh, who are non-Christians, not a part of the temple, went on there, that in their sacred places, they would have many idols. And they would basically try to get every idol in which they could so that they didn't forget one. They even put Jesus up there and said, Jesus is one of them. They said, we pray to all of them so that hopefully we cover all the bases. And Paul says, and Paul says there's no need to do that. Jesus is the one. He's the one that sustains, who grants life, and he is the one in which we can worship. And we come back to him, and this is what Paul is saying. He's holding up that Christ is the one. He's the true one and only source of life the body. He is our head. He's the one who plants the life, who sustains the life in which everything's been created through him. He sustains it. He sustains it in you. He strengthens you, endures you, 
to go about it. And we see that Christ is preeminent in the universe. He's before creation. He's also preeminent in the new creation. And this is something that's super fascinating in this verse, that he's the firstborn from the dead. We see that Jesus stands at the head of new creation. He's the firstborn from the dead, which basically means he's the one who initiates the end-time resurrection. Jesus' resurrection guarantees and stimulates the resurrection for all who follow, for each and every one of us. Jesus first went ahead of us. He lived, he died, and he rose again. And he did that so that we could do the same. And it's Jesus, not only being the first one to experience resurrection, rather he's the founder of the new creation of uh, uh, resurrection. And Paul uses all this to just illustrate the importance of Jesus' lordship, of Jesus' supreme, of Jesus being the first above everything in our own lives. And as I was reading this, there's a passage in which it brought me back to, and one of the quirky things in which you'll find out about me is that some of my favorite places to go in the Bible is the Old Testament, and specifically the Minor Prophets, and I know Kyle's like uh, John, of course. But one of my favorite things is the Minor Prophets. I feel like so often they get overlooked, and I'm gonna, I encourage you, uh, to go to the book of Haggai. I know I picked a really long book. It's only two chapters. You're welcome. But it has such a profound story. Because what we see is we see the nation of Israel. And in this moment, it's near kind of the end of the Old Testament story. And basically what's happened is that Israel's returning after an exile. And what I mean by exile is that Israel had a great nation and everything. Things were going well. They had the temple. They had their kings. Life was going well in the land in which they were in. And then they begin to kind of walk away from God, be disobedient, unfaithful, and instead of keeping God first, they begin to say, well, God and these other things. They came into this life kind of of the Jesus plus mentality, and they did a God plus mentality kind of thing. And what we see is that another nation came in and conquered them. And when you get conquered, I mean, some of your people die, some of the people got enslaved, and a lot of them were kicked out of their land. They were exiled from their land. And what we see here in Haggai is that the people are returning from exile after the nation that conquered them is no more. They're coming back to their land. They're rebuilding their lives. They're rebuilding their houses, their farm lives, their livestock, everything in which they can think to put back together. And yet what we see is these people, they're beginning to question and go, God, where are you like we're back in the land and everything and things should go back to normal i would think but they don't seem to be going back to normal it says that their harvest isn't as plentiful as what it used to be um, they put on all these clothes and yet they still don't feel as warm they don't feel this peace and love that they used to feel and Haggai walks in and i love it because what he sees is he sees their houses the livestock farm everything's rebuilt and yet you still see you see the temple still in shambles and broken and not re-put together. And the people there in Israel are defending themselves and says, well, it's not time to put the temple back together. And Haggai just, I can imagine his jaw just kind of drops and everything, and he's kind of looking at them. He says, really? So you're telling me that it's time for you to build up these glorious houses for yourselves, but yet it's not time to rebuild God's house. And it's in this moment that we see this perfect illustration of how so often it can be easy to build up the things in our life, to build up the treasures in which we have, and really leave God, our relationship with him, kind of in shambles and off to the side in the midst of everything else that's going on. 
and this is where we begin to have to ask ourselves, where's our priorities in life? When we begin to evaluate our lives, when we look and see what is all consuming and going on, are we able to spend time with God and speak first in those things? So let me ask you about a couple things. One of these, it resonates with me, but take for instance, at the first part of your day, when you first wake up in the morning, what's your first instinct? Is it to reach over, look on the TV? Is it to grab your phone, start scrolling through the news, social media, or whatever? Coffee? <laughs> or is your first instinct to grab your Bible and spend a couple of minutes reorienting your day around Jesus? How about when you uh, get your first paycheck or at the first of the month when you set your budget? Is your first instinct to say, okay, how many uh, times can we go out to eat this month? How many things can I buy for myself? Or is your first instinct to say, hey, what can I set aside for God this month and give to his kingdom? Or, this one resonates with me, uh, when you first finally have some downtime in your day, in the midst of going to work, meeting with a bunch of people, maybe you got kids and you guys are running all over, I can imagine, you guys going to different cheerleading stuff and all that, and in the midst of a busy day, you finally get home, you get to sit on your couch, is your first instinct to flip on the TV, is it to play a game, is it to do something, or is your first instinct to just reflect with God and say, God, this is what's been going on today, Thank you for what you've been doing. This is what's going on. We begin to ask ourselves, where is our priority in life? Is Jesus our number one priority? Or are we just having him in addition to a bunch of other things? You don't really think? Uh, we just come to this morning and we're just reliant upon you and what you do. You are the one who grants life and you are the one who sustains. You've called us into your kingdom. You've rescued us and you've delivered us from the domain of darkness. You've given us a new way to live. When we put you first, we're able to receive the strength, the endurance, the glory, the peace, the patience, the fruit of the spirit in which you give to us. Allow us to lean into that grace, to set aside the things of this world, and to be able to put you above all else. So we're so thankful.